information that you receive on Exclusively Inclusive Podcast is designed to be a learning experience for patients and listeners in order to supplement their own information so they can be better equipped to be advocates in their own healthcare journey. The opinions expressed by Erin Everett are the opinions of her own and do not represent any third parties or separate entities. In addition, the specialists that present on the show are also here to supplement your own healthcare information and are not designed to replace any treatment plans or information you're receiving from your own healthcare specialists. We hope that you enjoy the show and continue to subscribe and listen in. All that really is that multimodal, multidisciplinary team approach that really helps patients get better. And there's nothing better than when, you know, a patient, you know, we feel honored that they're, they trust us and are able to open up in such a private area, right? And right. then they undergo our treatment protocol, working with an amazing pelvic floor physical therapist. And then when they come back after, you know, six weeks post, and they're, you know, walking in saying, Dr. Shrikande, we had, I had intercourse, I had sex last night, it was the best thing ever. Um, <laughs> Um, but that's that why is amazing. show up for work every day. I mean, yeah. that's that, that's really what we do, and it's it's our it makes us feel so good, yeah, um, and honored really that they trusted us, and and when they feel better, it's the best thing in the world. Welcome to Exclusively Inclusive, your source for the latest in LGBTQIA healthcare, transgender HRT, and personal empowerment. Here's your host, Aaron Everett. Hey, welcome back, everybody, to Exclusively Inclusive. I'm your host, Erin Everett, nurse practitioner. On today's episode, we'll be taking time to talk to Dr. Allison Shrikande. Dr. Allison Shrikande is a board-certified physical medicine and rehabilitation specialist. She's also the chief medical officer at Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine. In addition to that, she's the chair of the Medical Education Committee for the International Pelvic Pain Society. The Pelvic Rehabilitation Medicine is a clinic that offers services including treatment for chronic prostatitis, endometriosis, interstitial cystitis, urinary incontinence, painful intercourse, and many other conditions. They have multiple locations and offer services in most major cities, including Atlanta. On today's episode, we'll be focusing on a special subject, post-op pain after gender-affirming surgeries, but we'll also be briefly touching on other causes for chronic pelvic floor dysfunction and pain. So without any further delay, I would love to welcome Dr. Allison Tricande to the show. Welcome to the show. We really appreciate having you here. If you wouldn't mind telling us a little bit about yourself, a fun fact, and then also uh, what your pronouns are before we get started. Sure. Thank you, Erin. Thanks so much for having me. Of course. Uh, my name is Allison Tricande. Uh, a fun fact would be I have a 10-year-old daughter, and we love to play Monopoly together. So we're big fans of Monopoly. And pronouns, uh, my pronouns are she and her. Excellent. So one of the things that we got connected with is um, not only your expertise in pelvic rehabilitation and medicine, but also in the fact that your clinics are offering services to people in the transgender community. Could you expand a little bit on that and like how you all got into it and uh, what kind of treatment options you have for those people? Sure, happy to. We saw our first transgender patient about seven months ago, and really we treat a lot of classically post-op abdominal pelvic surgeries, um, so it is in our wheelhouse. So we're really treating any post-op uh, nerve and muscle dysfunction and uh, pain, pelvic pain, as well as you know pain with intercourse that can happen, uh, uh, urinary urgency, sensation of UTI is common, and any bowel uh, constipation, the bowel movement, all those things um, can happen either before or after uh, a surgery. 
So we're treating that. We're rehabbing the pelvis, getting the muscles and nerves, everything firing, and having everybody return to pain-free life with functioning in terms of the pelvis. Excellent. And so just to expand a little bit on that, you mentioned post-operative pain. I wanted to just be a little bit more clear. Are there services available to those who have received vaginoplasty and metatoidoplasty or phalloplasty? Yes. So any gender affirmation surgery um, is, so we, you know, we really have seen all of it and yes, it's available to, to everybody and we're, you know, honored and excited to try and help the, uh, the patient population the best we can. Any residual issues after surgery in terms of, you know, pain, discomfort, or pelvic function, that, that is what we're doing because we're rehabbing the pelvis and that includes muscle and nerve dysfunction. Excellent. And so with that, too, a lot of people who have uh, vaginoplasty won't actually have removal of the prostate. Are those services, too, when you're, you're talking about chronic pain and inflammation and pelvic pain, is that considered as maybe a source of that as well when you're doing working up a patient? Um, possibly, yes. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the patient, you know, yes, multiple patients we have seen, um, the prostate was not removed, correct. But, you know, potentially there might have been some mild pelvic floor muscle dysfunction preoperatively, hard to say, mm-hmm. um, that can, you know, get a little bit worse with surgery, right? Because right. it's a trauma or an insult to the body. So if you're kind of teetering and had a little bit, um, it could have gotten a little bit worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, that, that would be, you know, our, the, the classic patients that we have treated thus far. The, the prostate was not removed during the Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I guess that would vary a lot too for a case by case basis. But um, for a lot of people who go on to have vaginoplasty, if they're um, a little bit older, say age greater than 50 and have already had issues with their prostate, I imagine that would come more into play because their pelvic floor is already tightened. And as you've mentioned before, has these uh, walls or blockades up. Is there anything that you could think of or would it be of any benefit, do you think, for those particular patients to come and see a provider at your clinic prior to having surgery? A hundred percent. That would be the ideal. Um, yeah. We love that. We call it pre- we call it prehab. And, you know, in our world of rehab, we do it before spine surgery, before hip, before knee surgery quite often, actually, to get, mm-hmm. you know, to get them in the best shape they can for surgery. Mm-hmm. But, um, but we haven't really got, and we're trying to get people to do it before any abdominal pelvic surgery. I think they'd do much better, honestly, if we can mm-hmm. really, uh, really get the muscles and nerves in the best shape they can be, wrap them up in a nice bow and prevent, present them for surgery. Surgery. That would be ideal. Mm-hmm. Yes, I definitely think that would be best. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's hard. That's life. So sometimes it's, patients, like I said, are teetering and then surgery is really the thing that kind of throws them over the edge and then no problem. We can help right. you after as well. Right. Absolutely. And I mean, I think that too is going to be important. You know, hopefully for people listening, we'll take those steps too, but also to connect with more primary care providers because we're often the coordinators of care. And so now that I'm aware of um, your services and everything too, I'll also be way more apt to be able to refer patients to get treatment prior to surgery. Because usually once they go through their surgical workup, they end up on a waiting list uh, with a lot of affirming surgeons. And so there's plenty of time to work on those things in preparation for surgery. I think that would be great working with uh, our physiatrists and pelvic floor physical therapy. I really think it would help their post-op recovery go more smoothly. Yeah, absolutely. When you're talking about offering trans services and, you know, the post-operative complications and pain, one of the conditions that you mentioned on your website that may increase pain was interstitial cystitis. And, I, you know, I don't see a ton of it, but I see enough of it to where this definitely caught my attention and wanted to ask you a little bit more about that. And because a lot of patients are concerned that having interstitial cystitis would, you know, 
ruin their chances of having gender affirming surgery. Could you speak a little bit more about interstitial cystitis and how like maybe like successful your treatments are and just to give those patients a little bit more hope that they would have a, you know, a better opportunity with surgery? 100%. Yeah. So with interstitial cystitis, essentially there are Honor's lesions or these lesions in the bladder that really cause a lot of bladder symptoms. So a lot of mm-hmm. urgency, frequency, sometimes burning with urination. And in addition to that, they cause their pelvic floor muscles to go into spasm. Again, it's another, it's another condition that causes that pelvic mm-hmm. floor hypertonia, which mm-hmm. then irritates the nerves. And it's kind mm-hmm. of a vicious cycle where everything's upregulated and that's really what happens. So what we're treating is we're calming down the muscle nerve dysfunction that almost mm-hmm. always happens with IC. And that really helps patients for two reasons. The, the nerves aren't so sensitized and hyper, mm-hmm. so they're not irritating the bladder as much. Right. And in addition, the bladder is now sitting on a pelvic floor that's not so spastic. So when a bladder sits on a pelvic floor that's more calm and relaxed, mm-hmm. you don't have to pee as much, essentially. You don't have to go to the bathroom as often. Yeah. So that's kind of what we're doing with, with our IC patients, which, which, is, which works works nicely. Um, one one caveat is actually a lot of, you know, you, you definitely want to m- make sure you definitely get a diagnosis of IC with a urologist taking a camera and looking inside the bladder. Right. Quite often it's the, the camera, when they take a look, it's normal. It's really, we call it then it's bladder pain syndrome. Mm. And a lot of bladder pain syndrome is just pelvic floor muscle dysfunction, muscle nerve dysfunction, which is definitely can be, tre- you know, treated very well with pelvic floor physical therapy and PRM, because um, we can treat that muscle nerve dysfunction, particularly if they don't have the lesions inside the bladder when the camera is, goes in there. Mm-hmm. So it is important to get that, that a lot of patients don't really know, but it is important to get the IC versus bladder pain syndrome, you know, um, really, really nailed down. Yeah. Um, and, and, and then, yeah, we can, we, either way, we, we can really treat that muscle nerve dysfunction and then pre, pre or post post-operatively um, that can, you know, contribute. But I, I would say I, it would be very sad to think that you know, you, you, you would, inhi- would inhibit, pa- inhibit patients from getting the gender mm-hmm. affirmation surgery with IC. I mean, I would definitely see us in our PRM and a pelvic floor physical therapist mm-hmm. to see what we can do 100% to get your symptoms under control. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is. And I think, I mean, I think most of the time it's not necessarily the surgeons limiting it. I think it's the fear of increased pain. Um, they're already have such a terrible relationship with their pelvic floor area. And then there's the dysphoria yeah. and there's chronic pain. So I think it's mostly fear that's blocking them from pos- proceeding with that, you know, in uh, a, of course, that's like a sweeping statement. Not everybody's going to feel that way. But I think a lot of people do. And so that's really a great resource to have to be able to send prior to surgery to kind of decrease any of that pain and those fears. A hundred percent. Yes. I mean, again, just submitted a a paper, almost 200 patients with IC and bladder pain syndrome undergoing our treatment protocol. That's Um, awesome. Because we do see once the muscles and nerves dysfunction goes away, a lot of the symptoms, you know, get, get better. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. And some of the other questions, too, I had about your transgender services is, and it's not specifically listed on here, but other conditions like it are, so I'm sure that you guys are open to it, is I have a lot of trans males or trans masculine patients, so they're assigned female at birth, they identify as male, and they may or may not be on hormones. But, you know, once they are on testosterone, it creates, um, you know, a, a condition very similar to postmenopause. And so they often have similar issues. But some of them will, even prior to hormones, have terrible vaginismus and pain. And 
often it's really hard for them to find a safe space to get treatment for that. Have you all dealt with anything in that arena at all or anyone in the treated anybody in the gender community for something like that? Yes, one of our patients who was, who was trans male did, vaginismus was the presenting complaint. So yeah, we do, you know, address it in terms of, again, working with us and public floor physical therapy really to treat the underlying nerve muscle dysfunction. Uh-huh. And then a lot of, um, a lot of it's also some muscle relaxation techniques. There mm-hmm. is a strong connection between certain areas of the brain and the pelvic floor to just teach patients how to uh, drop their pelvic floor and relax uh, their pelvic floor. And also the topical hormones can help if they, particularly if they have entrance um, issues, Mm -hmm. uh, the topical hormones really sometimes combining estrogen and testosterone Mm -hmm. can help with, with the vag, with vaginismus symptoms, as Mm -hmm. well as sometimes adding either a topical nerve or or muscle relaxer as well can help. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't Um, think about that. Topical sometimes topical ketamine. We'll do 10% ketamine around. really does help while we treat the muscle nerve dysfunction. So yes, no, we, we, we have seen that. And, you know, so, and a lot of it is you do need kind of work. I, I think it's important the entire sling needs work, not mm-hmm. just the anterior compartment. Patients do much better when the entire sling is, is released. Yeah. And that's really fascinating because, I mean, often I'm left to treat this stuff by myself as, you know, because, again, it's really hard to find inclusive providers who are going to offer safe care. So, I again, I really appreciate you guys. But, you know, I I often lean on the topical estrogen gels, you know, because obviously those tissues are super estrogen dependent and do better with the estrogen dominant environment. But you don't you don't want to give them something that's going to create higher levels systemically because, you know, it would go against their goals for transition. But I never had considered and not that I would necessarily write for this, um, the benefits of a topical muscle relaxer or the ketamine. That's fascinating. Yeah, yeah, we use it. It does. It helps in the topical nature of it, too. It's, yeah. it's safer and less absorption. And, but, yes, we do use it. We'll combine it with the back of a muscle relaxer Yeah, um, as well. Yeah. And so does you find um, insurance typically pays for this type of uh, treatment? For our treatment, we are out, out of network. So, mm-hmm. you know, most of our patients, it is insurance not a cash pay it is insurance but we are out of network mm-hmm. okay and so for someone say in the atlanta area where the majority of my listeners are but there are a lot in florida too in the northeast area what kind of costs could be associated with it or is it just kind of up to the compounding pharmacy that makes the medication oh for the topical creams yeah the cost of the topicals um that would really depend on the patient's plan because if their patient if the, the plan covers compounding pharmacy Mm-hmm. Then you know. Then, then. So, it really, just depends on the individual plan. Okay. <clears throat> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for that information. And is something that your office actually compounds, or they do get sent out to a pharmacy? Oh uh, no, we use our own pharmacy. Um, oh, certain do? cities use a local pharmacy, and some use. There's a pharmacy in the New York area that we've been working with for many years now. So we, who, you know, essentially when you're doing topicals in that area, you can't have any propylene glycol because that will irritate. So no, yeah. you have to make sure they know what they're doing. So no propylene glycol. Classically, we'll sometimes have them try different bases, send the patient a couple bases and see. Um, but classically, uh, olive oil is good or coconut oil. They can do it in. Um, mm-hmm. uh, those bases are, are great for that area as well. But yeah, we do work with pharmacies that are familiar with kind of vaginismus, vulvodynia, and also um, we're trying to also find the best price for our patients. So that's the balance uh, we're trying to find, honestly. So we, awesome. we're, we've been lucky. We found several throughout the U.S. who've really worked with us to create, you know, the best products for our patients. It's been great. That's awesome. 
I know we've talked about this briefly before, but a lot of people complain about pain with intercourse. Kind of what is your clinic's approach to assessing that and helping people deal with that? Yeah, Erin, I'd say that's our most common chief complaint. So we do see that all day, every day. And yeah, I mean, our, our approach is uh, we work, first of all, we help diagnose any underlying issues that may coincide as to why they have pain within a course. And, and number two, we uh, devise a treatment plan. We work with pelvic floor physical therapy um, where we have patients, they go to pelvic floor physical therapy once a week and they see us at PRM once a week. And we do external ultrasound guided selective peripheral nerve blocks mm-hmm. as well as trigger point injections to the levator ani sling, so the pelvic floor sling. Mm-hmm. Um, it is, you know, patients, there's no downtime. Patients see us in, you know, in the morning at 8.30 and they'll be at their 10 a.m. meeting. So they go straight to work. You go on with your day. But it's it's three times on each side. So it's mm-hmm. once a week for six weeks mm-hmm. with PRM and pelvic floor PT. What we're treating is that muscle nerve dysfunction because with pain with intercourse, those are the two culprits mm-hmm. that are causing it, right? So right. pain, the nerve dysfunction and the muscle spasm. That's why patients are having this pain. So we just treat them both. We believe concomitantly. You can't just treat the muscles or just the nerves. We you treat them both concomitantly and then with pelvic floor physical therapy. And quite often, we'll also uh, prescribe uh, about six to eight weeks of a a suppository to take at night that will help also uh, relax the muscles. um, So all that really is that multimodal, multidisciplinary team approach that really helps patients get better. And there's nothing better than when, you know, a patient... We feel honored that they're, they trust us and are able to open up in such a private area, right? And right. then they undergo our treatment protocol, working with an amazing pelvic floor physical therapist. And then when they come back after, you know, six weeks post, and they're, you know, walking in saying, Dr. Shikande, we had, I had intercourse, I had sex last night, it was the best thing ever. Um, but that's <laughs> that why is amazing. we show up for work every day. I mean, yeah. that, that's, that, that's really what we do, and it's, it's our, it makes us feel so good yeah. and honored, really, that they trusted us. And and when they feel better, it's the best thing in the world. And that's all part of that patient-centered approach that you guys have. And I really just value that so much. It just makes a lot, it makes me more comfortable too referring to your clinic because I know that when my patients go there, they're going to get individualized treatment plans. And while some of the treatment options may be the same for everybody, it sounds like you're going to be evaluating them on a case-by-case basis. And I, I really enjoy that. Oh, 100%. Because everybody's reasons for getting there are different. Mm -hmm. And that is the key. We have to figure, we can't just blindly treat. We, of course, we treat the muscle nerve dysfunction 100%. Mm -hmm. Very important. But we really need to understand why Mm -hmm. in order to prevent uh, any recurrence or flaring or recurrence or if there's anything that needs needs to be in addition to the muscle nerve dysfunction, we need to understand what team we need to build. You know, mm-hmm. is it gynecology? Is it GI? Or is there right. nothing else? But we need to if we don't understand deeply the origins of and do a root cause analysis, then we're not doing our patients the service that they need. Right, right. Absolutely. And I know we touched on endometriosis before and how your team is really you know, going to help identify those symptoms and then refer out for an actual diagnosis. But you mentioned how it can impact the colorectal area. And um, I meant to ask you for more details on that, because I don't think a lot of people really understand that. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, actually, that is one of the most common chief complaints for endometriosis is 
constipation, pain with bowel movement, bloating, straining on the toilet, um, because you can have an endometriosis really in that, that the sac right near the rectum. Mm-hmm. And that really can cause a lot of bowel, we call it bowel dysfunction. And, and some, one classic thing to look for is if there's any blood in your stool during your period. I always ask patients that because if, if, and then it doesn't, it's only during your period, right? While you're bleeding, mm-hmm. there's blood in your stool. That's, that's something to think of endometriosis. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, definitely probably the most, com- most of my patients who have endo started off with the GI workup, right? Cause they're like, I don't know, my pain with bowel movement, I'm bloated all the time. So they get upper and lower scope. They get scoped from above and, and below mm-hmm. and it's classically normal. The scope, will, you know, won't show it. So then they're, they, you know, they, then they see the next doctor. Um, but yeah, very common bowel complaints because all the endometriosis plaques, there can be scar tissue around the rectum. They can really just deposit right in that sac and irritate the bowel. Okay. And so a lot of the patients too, with the endometriosis, they're also going to be some of the patients that you see too for pain with intercourse. A hundred percent. Yeah. It's, it, it, so we always show pictures when you come in. We have a lot of pictures in anatomy because it's hard to, but it's a slang, right? Mm-hmm. So it's bowel, bladder, intercourse is what we see and treat at pelvic rehabilitation medicine. And that's what endo would also present with bowel, bladder, intercourse. Those okay. are really your classic. Right. And that's, um, and with, with bowel, with bowel, a lot of abdominal bloating as well. Okay. And like we touched on before, that's going to be similar too for the patients with polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. Yes, it's a little, it is similar. Um, well, number one, PCOS, we do, can, can come with endo and PCOS and come together. But so PCOS, it's more of a secondary pelvic floor guarding that causes this bowel bladder intercourse dysfunction in PCOS, right? Mm-hmm. For endometriosis, it's both. That's why it, secondary guarding, but also endo itself, the endometriosis plaques can be around the, they can be on the bladder. They can be right around the rectum. So uh-huh. they actually can, can, so it's more of a direct cause with endometriosis. PCOS, it's indirect. It's your pelvic floor. Yeah. <laughs> it's really your pelvic floor muscles, which is why, you know, PCOS patients respond very well to our protocol because we're not fighting those endometriosis plaques if they don't have it. They okay. don't have endo. So just, we can just reset that, the muscles and nerves and they can go on their way. Okay. Um, so, so they do respond very well because it's a secondary, right? It's the muscles are guarding mm-hmm. because of the PCOS. Okay. And I know, I'm sorry, I'm asking you a lot of questions about this, but I just want to make sure that my listeners understand because sometimes these medical conditions can be complex and hard to decipher. And so, of course, when people are listening to this, they should always consult their primary care providers for more information about it. But for them listening, the main difference is then what you're saying is endometriosis, there's pieces of tissues that can be causing the pain. You're referring to those as plaques, whereas with PCOS, it is more just hormones and actual pelvic guarding, but there are no scar tissue or plaques being adhered to other areas of of the system, right? That's exactly right, Aaron. Excellent. While the two may go hand in hand, you often see those separately, but they're treated somewhat similarly, it sounds like. From the muscle nerve standpoint, 100%. Yeah. Yes. Excellent. Are, we, we treat them similar. similar. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Awesome. Hey, everyone. I have a quick favor to ask. If you wouldn't mind taking a moment and just clicking the subscribe button on whichever platform you use to listen to my show, that would be wonderful. Not only does it 
allow you to get notified every time I publish an episode, but it also helps with my ratings and reviews, which what that means in podcast world is that I'm able to climb up in the rating scale and reach other listeners. The whole reason why I started this show is to access people who needed the information. So please just go ahead and click subscribe. Then we can all be happy and continue to listen to this good quality free information. Thank you so much. When I was looking earlier before we started chatting, one of the things that I was surprised to find, and I'm, I don't really know why I was surprised to find this because it makes perfect sense, was your emphasis on treating cisgendered men for chronic prostatitis symptoms. And that is something that we treat at our clinic so often. And I like that you mentioned that it's not always attributed to bacterial infections. Would you mind explaining a little bit about that? Sure, yes. For chronic prostatitis, exactly. So patients who essentially, the pathophysiology is there's nerve muscle dysfunction that's actually causing Mm -hmm. the symptoms of chronic prostatitis. When the pelvic floor is guarding state, it really is squeezing those nerves and causing the nerves to have less blood flow. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, they get inflamed, essentially. You get the release of what we call pro-inflammatory cytokines and neurogenic inflammation, so inflammation around the nerves. And that inflammation then can cause the symptoms of chronic, of chronic prostatitis. So that is really the connection. Um, it could cause pain with erection, pain with sitting, pain in the perineum, urinary urgency, burning, all nerve dysfunction correlated to the, the spasm in the pelvic floor. And so we are really reversing that process with, the, with chronic prostatitis in terms of decreasing all that inflammation around the nerves and then releasing the spasm in the pelvic floor. And once that goes away, the nerves can reset and heal and return to normal and stop causing these symptoms where they shouldn't. Um, they're firing when they shouldn't fire, essentially. So um, that's really what we're, we're doing is, is, is treating that. That's awesome. It's great to know, too, for me as a provider that um, because sometimes it just feels like we're just throwing antibiotics and medications at patients and they don't always improve. So it's nice to know that there's another option for that. A hundred percent. Yes. I mean, classically, you know, the patients tried multiple courses of antibiotics and multiple courses of NSAIDs, Mm -hmm. both of which you don't want to take too much of, right? Antibiotics or NSAIDs, honestly, both of them. So, yeah, so that is what we, for, you know, when we are treating chronic prostatitis, we use something called the chronic prostatitis symptom index. Pre, pre-treatment, when we first meet you, we get it, and then post our protocol showing that, that the basically chronic prostatitis, it does improve with our treatment protocol. So that is the data we're collecting. Wow, that's awesome. And so I'm wondering if a low-sugar, low-inflammatory diet is helpful for endometriosis and PCOS. Have you noticed that any dietary changes for um, those experiencing chronic prostatitis is helpful? You know, that's a great question. There's not as much data out there for the men. I mean, we still stick because I, from the muscle nerve standpoint, Mm -hmm. male and female, it's very similar overall. So we still stick with the anti-inflammatory approach. But it's just not, you know, we were using any data for nutrition, honestly, and chronic pain. Mm -hmm. That's what we're doing. So sometimes, you know, fish oils um, and anything that you're, and also we'll use the uh, interstitial cystitis diet where Mm -hmm. anything that we find can be irritating to the bladder may also irritate the entire uh, urological system. So we'll say, is coffee irritating you, alcohol, um, classically acidic foods, Mm -hmm. uh, chocolate, but not, but it's not everyone. So we, we, again, it's, it's, you try it. If you, you know, stop coffee for a week, do you feel better? So a lot of it's a trial and error because, you know, some people are fine with, with coffee, but not great with acidic foods. So it is uh, individualized as well. 
Yeah. Um, but those are kind of the two approaches we take is really anything that can irritate the bladder, we think may irritate the entire urological system. And then also the anti-inflammatory approach because the anti-inflammatory approach has been studied with just chronic pain in general. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like I have thoroughly picked your brain. Um, I'm sure there's a million and one other questions I could ask you and your expertise, but I have found it so fascinating to chat with you today. And I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you, Erin. Thank you for having me and thank you for all the amazing work you're doing. I mean, this is really important work. So it really is. Congratulations and keep going. Yeah. And congratulations to you and your clinic for being so open and inclusive. I mean, I just am so excited to connect you too with other experts. Uh, You mentioned you're in the South Florida area, right? Yes. Yeah. We're, we're currently in, in the Miami area and yeah. we're, we're opening up soon in Palm Beach Gardens. Awesome. Yeah. I actually have some other specialists in that area that I should connect you with who would probably just love being able to refer to you as well. So we can chat later about that too. But before we wrap up, is there anything that you want to make sure my listeners know about you or your clinic or any other tidbits you want to add? Uh, no, we just, we feel honestly honored that our patients trust us and, um, are really uh, brave enough to speak up about their pelvic issues. So please, please speak up, tell your friends to speak up and um, come see us. Excellent. Thank you so much. Remember, everybody, stay fierce and live your truth.